Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. How you doing? Everybody good? You do know it's Valentine's Day, right? You really need to know that, guys. You really, really need to know that. Oh, thanks. Let there be light. Super. All right, so if you haven't been thinking about Valentine's Day, I want to help you with that. And uh, so we're in this series, Called by God. And first week we talked about, hey, we've been called to um, be loved by God. He created us to love us, which is great. And then he called us to be a part of his family, which is also great. We're called to belong. And last week we started talking about we're called to become like his son. And there's this um, great calling in our lives. Now, some of us attempt to do things. Um, Like when I was in high school, middle school, I, I was in algebra class, and I really wasn't very good at it. And I wanted to be good, but I just really wasn't able to. And and. Some of you, you know you're supposed to be romantic on uh, Valentine's Day, but you're, you're just not very good. But I want to give you some encouragement today because as bad as you are, you're probably not this bad. I'm going to show you some pictures. Uh, this guy, I think, is trying to get married, but I'm not quite sure. We have to hope Brittany uh, isn't a school teacher because that is really confusing. This next one... I'm going to say, don't do this, okay? I'm going to give you the heads up right now. Don't do this. Uh, This is an ad in a newspaper. If you had no idea what to get her for Valentine's Day, imagine how overwhelming arranging her funeral would be. And right after you arrange hers, you'll have to uh, arrange yours uh, because that's really not going to go well for you. Now, if you're ready to pop the question, I would say do it better than this. Be better than this. I'm just going to tell you. Got to be better than this. Now, if you're on the cheap, I get that. I was a student one time, and I haven't been on the cheap. I think this is uh, this constitutes a candlelight dinner for me. Uh, I think this, this qualifies. That that works for me. Now, before I give you the last picture, I'm going to tell you I read three separate stories of this happening. So I'm I'm assuming it's true. But this is what happens when you hide an engagement ring in food. All right, number one, why would you hide an engagement ring in food? I mean, I mean, if she's taking a bite and she cracks her tooth, you're going to have a toothless bride, and that's not a good look for anybody. But the other side of it is, how do you swallow a ring and not know it's there? I, is, it, is it doable? Maybe they had no teeth. Oh, these are Kentucky people. Oh... Oh, it's, it makes much more sense now. Um, okay, so let's go back to being serious. This is what we're called to become like Jesus, God's son. Uh, this is a great verse. God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son. So if you're a follower of Christ, if you made a commitment sometime in your life, like I did when I was seven, I knew I was a sinner and I needed a savior and I needed somebody to forgive my sins. And I asked Jesus to forgive my sins. I crossed from unfaith into faith. I asked Jesus to forgive my sins and guide my life. If you've ever done that, then God's ambition for you is to become like Christ. We've been called to be like Christ. And it is sort of overwhelming a little bit if you think about it, but it's doable. And so last week we talked about three things. I'm going to quick review those for you. 
we're playing off this verse in uh, Hebrews 12, 1 that says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God set before us. And so we talked about it. If I'm going to become like Christ, I've got some things I have to do. The first thing is, I've got to simplify my life. I've got to simplify. I, I have to remember that in some of this, some of the stripping off, that language of stripping off, is I've got to strip off some stuff. And one of the things I strip off are my past failures. Now, the Bible is clear. It can't be more clear. If you ask forgiveness, He forgives. God forgives. If you ask it, He, gives, he forgives it. Part of the problem is I, I sometimes can't get past the fact that I did that. And as a Christian, I've been a Christian a lot of years, there are times when I'll do something or I've done something and I think to myself, I can't believe I did that. And I, it kind of keeps, you know, Satan kind of keeps bringing it up. And I have to strip off my past. Paul even said, I forget the past. I don't think about that anymore. And so when, uh, when I get those notions in my mind, I just, I'm thankful. I say, Lord, thank you for forgiving me. So I got to strip off my past failures. Sometimes I have to strip off my past successes. I did it well at one point in my life. I did good this time. Well, that's great, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen every time. And so you can have a good season in your life. That doesn't mean the next season is going to be good. And so I have to keep growing and learning and doing things. But speaking of doing things, the other thing I have to strip off is I have to strip off the notion that I have to win God's favor and win His approval. Too many of us go through life thinking... Because we, I think a lot of times, it's because we had parents who we, we were always trying to win their approval, we think we have to do that with our Heavenly Father. And nowhere in Scripture says, do you have to win God's approval? You don't have to win it. So that's one of the things I have to strip off. So I simplify my life. I, I've come to an understanding that God is for me. The second thing is, I've got to pace myself. We talked about this is a marathon to maturity. It doesn't happen overnight, and I can't just... I can read the whole Bible in one day, maybe, but maybe it's smarter to pace myself and read a little bit at a time so I can uh, absorb it better, you know, take it into account a little uh, clearer. So I have to pace myself. The third thing is this. I've got to walk with Jesus. If I'm going to be like Jesus, I should be with Jesus. Just makes sense. And so... Uh, how, how's the best way to be with Jesus and to learn about Jesus? Well, you read the biographies about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are biographies written by men who were either with Christ or written by men who interviewed people who were with Christ. This is the closest thing you're going to get to knowing what Jesus was really like, is to, to read the, the biographies of Christ. And we get this notion about Jesus sometimes that you know, he's always nice and he's never, you know, never confrontational. That's crazy. You read about Jesus, and what you're going to learn is he was often con uh, confrontational. In fact, uh, we talked about it last week. He, made a, he fashioned a whip and drove people out of the temple because they were selling animals and they were exchanging money at an unfair rate in the temple, and he drove them out with a whip. That's just not, he's not a Mr. Rogers Jesus. He does things, he says things that are so challenging. He'll say stuff like, Hey, if they slap you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek. And that's difficult to do. And he says things like, um, uh, you've heard that it was said, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, uh, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. And that is really difficult to do. It's sort of against human nature. 
The interesting thing about the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament is it was sort of a... All right, this is how, this is how it goes. If somebody does me wrong, like they poke my eye out, my natural inclination is to do more back to them. So when the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, what it's saying is don't overdo in your response. But Jesus said, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, love your neighbor. So Jesus takes it to the next level. He is incredibly confrontational and challenging, and it's difficult to live like him. And if you want to know what Jesus believed and taught and how he lived, you have to read about him. You can't just listen to people because people don't always know what they're talking about. So I've got to dig in. So the third thing is I just have to walk with Jesus. So now let's go on. Fourth thing. I've got to run with others. I wanted you to notice how many times the word us is used in this text, so I highlighted it for you. Uh, You're welcome. Uh, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God set before us. We are better together. the, the, The race of life in the Christian life is best accomplished with others. Now, I've got a picture of a monastery. Isn't that awesome? That is in Greece. Let me see where it was. Uh, Matereo, Greece. Now, you just didn't kind of stumble on this place. If you wanted to go to this monastery, that's where the monks lived, right? And there's been this push for millennia to just get away from it all. Uh, Life is hard. It's difficult dealing with folks. I'm going to become a hermit, a monk somewhere, and I won't have to deal with people that are, are not just like me. Now, Jesus sometimes got away. In fact, if you read uh, the biographies of Jesus, it says he was baptized. That was sort of his inauguration into ministry. He was baptized. There's a, a voice from heaven that says, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And it says immediately Jesus went from this, baptism, inauguration, to spending 40 days in the wilderness by himself. Jesus got away from it all, too. A lot of times in preparation for ministry. It's okay to get away, just not always get away. Jesus had 12 associates. We call them disciples. He had three closest friends. Uh, This was kind of, they call it this inner circle. He had people in his life because we all need people in our lives. It's a great text. I love this text. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. That's why church is really important. I've got four daughters. My, my, my second daughter is named Mallory. Mallory got married uh, just this last year. She's been married about a year. And Mallory is a, um, she is a consummate encourager. She's great at it. And Mallory ran cross-country in college. And I have a picture of her. That's her right there. That's Mallory. Um, I, I said, so Mal would run her race. This is how it works in cross country. Uh, the, the, the girls run, and then they do their cool down, and then the boys run. And um, so Mallory would call me after her races, and I would say, Mal, how'd you do? And Mal would tell me how she did. But while she's on the phone with me, if the race is going on, that's what she's doing with the phone up to her ear. So she is about to burst my eardrums. So I was talking to her this week, and I said, Mal, do you have any pictures of you encouraging somebody? Because uh, I really want to talk about that. So she sent me this picture. What's really funny about this picture, she told me, (laughs) 
that guy that she's cheering for isn't even on her team. That's not even one of her guys. She, she just, I said, honey, why were you cheering him? And then her comment was, he just looked like he needed some encouragement. Well, we need people like that in our lives. Because always, we, we all, at some point in our life, need a little encouragement. So a team will do things for you. They'll help you get in the race. Hey, man, get in there. Do it. Get in the race. They'll encourage you during the race. Keep going. It's going to be okay. If you fall down, you know what they do? They encourage you to get up. They encourage you to finish strong. This is what teams do. That's why I, I love small groups. I'm in a small group. I'm in a group of pastors. We meet once a month. In fact, I've got a buddy, one of my pastor buddies who pastors a church nearby, who had some heart issues, had to go to the hospital this week. Well, I've had heart issues when I was 40 a long time ago. And so we talked because when you go through experiences together, or when you get through an experience, you can help somebody else get through the same experience. So we had a chat, and I talked about my medicine and that kind of thing, because <laughs> it's funny. I had a heart attack at 40, and all of a sudden I was old. And everybody that was older than me wanted to talk about, hey, what medication are you on? And that's, that's okay, because now I have something in common. This commonality helps us. This language of spur one another on. When I was a kid, about the, the illustration that came to my mind, when I was a kid, all the kids came to big church, right? So I was 8, 9, 10 years old, and everybody came to big church. Right now, we have kids over here in children's church, which is great. We didn't have that when I was a kid. So you went to Sunday school, and then everybody came to big church. And Mama sat in the choir, and she made sure. It's like, I, think, I don't think she really wanted to sing. She just wanted to keep an eye on us. And so she sat in the choir, and she could look at us out there, and we were kind of behaving. And Daddy was uh, a, a deacon, and he counted the money. I think that was just to get out of church. And uh, so uh, there I was, you know, I was sitting around, and, and there was a couple in front of us, and they sat there every week. And this is shocking to you, I know, but in that church, occasionally people fell asleep. I know, uh, uh, unbelievable. Anyway, this, this one husband, usually it was men, by the way. That's kind of funny how that works. Anyway, this one guy would fall asleep. And his wife, his wife would let him sleep unless he started snoring. All right? So we loved it. We, we were back there. We'd watch. And he, he, he you know, you know, you, you know it's, it's, it's one of these deals. And then every once in a while, you know, it's like those, remember those, uh, those little things that you used to put in your car and they'd hit the water and they'd come back out? That's kind of what it looked like. Uh, so here he was, and, and he, so then he started snoring, and it, without exception, she would spur him. I mean, I, she, she, she broke some ribs spurring that guy, uh, and, and it, was, it was comical. It was like, okay, that's spurring somebody on. Another illustration. If you're driving, let's say you're riding shotgun, and the driver of the car, you're in the car, and they start to nod off. What, what do you do? Do you say, ah, you might want to wake up? No. You spur them on. Hey, wake up. You're going to kill us. You're going to get us killed. That's, that's the language. That, that's what the meaning of the language is here. We, we spur one another on. We, we help them do better. And, and then it says, toward love and good deeds. Super interesting here. It doesn't say spur one another on by loving them and doing good deeds. No. We're to help each other love 
and do good things. We're, we're to help. We're, we're to, sometimes I will say to you, hey, we've got a need, I, I, uh, you know, um, youth group. Uh, let's say we have a youth camp coming up. Hey, we've got youth camp, and I've got three students that don't have enough money. If you'd like to help, that's me spurring you on to do good deeds. We do that all the time. We're going on a mission trip, and we need some funds to buy some material when we get out there. And I will say, I'll always say, if the Lord leads you to do something, because the Lord doesn't lead you to do something every time, but he might that time. And so it will spur you on to do good deeds. That's what it looks like to be in community. The implication is, the implication is that... Uh, we are ourselves loving, and we're doing good deeds, and we can help you uh, know those opportunities as well. So, if I'm going to be like Christ, it's a team effort. I need more than just myself for it to happen. The second thing is, oh, this is great. Oh, I love this proverb. Um, to run fast, run by yourself. To run far, run with others. To run fast, you can run by yourself, but if you want to run far, you run with others. Fifth. I allow Jesus to do his part. Look at this text. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The pioneer and perfecter. Now, in theater, there's something called an understudy for every main character. The character learns his lines, but there has to be somebody in the wings in case... The main character gets sick or the main character breaks an ankle. You know, uh, something might happen. They might get by a bus. And the show must go on. You've heard that expression, the show must go on. Well, the show goes on because the understudy has studied the character of the main character. In football, same thing. You've got a quarterback. And if the quarterback goes down, they, they've got a guy. He's called the backup quarterback. He's the understudy. Now, what you don't want to see on your team is the backup quarterback on the sideline eating cake, drinking coffee. You don't really want that. What you want from your backup quarterback is somebody on the sidelines with a clipboard paying attention to the game. That's what you want. If he's over there smoking a cig, eating a hot dog, that's not good for your team. It's really not good. Not what you want. And so we learn how to do this because Jesus showed us how to do it. We fix our eyes on Him. It, it's, it it's just makes sense. He showed us the way. Now what's interesting is, Jesus had trouble. Jesus had a lot of struggles in His life. It says, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, considering Him... Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And the truth of the matter is it's possible in life to grow weary and it's possible in life to lose heart. It's possible. I've grown weary, lost heart. I mean, I've been a Christian a long time. It's not always easy and sometimes you just don't know what to do. Maybe you suffer loss. Maybe you're determined, I am really going to get my life together. I'm going to do everything I've been called to do. Or I'm going to get my budget together and I'm not going to owe anybody. And you determine you're going to start a, an account and you're going to save and all of a sudden your car breaks down and you're like, what's the use? I'm trying. Or you're living right, you're doing everything right and all of a sudden somebody gets a promotion that you should have gotten. Or at least you thought you should have. 
It's like, well, I'm doing it right, and they're doing it wrong, and they got rewarded, and I didn't. And it's easy to be weary, to lose heart. Maybe you speak the truth in love. We're told to speak the truth in love, and you're called a bigot, or you're called unloving, and that's just wearisome. Wears on a person. It, it's possible. I think that's why uh, the author of the Hebrews says, hey, fix your eyes on Jesus. And that language, lose heart, that, that language literally, literally means don't let go of the rope. I mean, if you're mountain climbing, the thing you don't want to let go of is the rope. You're, you're, you know, you, this is your course and your course is taking you over the mountain. Don't let go of the rope. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because it's easy to get distracted. <laughs> One time I was in a parking lot in Kroger in Kentucky. Kroger is a grocery store. And I was walking to the front door and the biggest, tallest four-wheel drive I've ever seen in my life uh, came around the corner and was bearing down on me. And I looked in the, uh, in the cockpit up there. I, it's too, it was too far up to be, uh, to be a truck. It was a cockpit. And, uh, and there was a lady in there, and she had a cigarette in one hand, a phone in the other, and a dog in her lap. And I'm thinking, how are you steering? I, I, I don't know. And, and it kind of reminds me of, of this picture. Um, it, it, it's easy to be distracted in life. It just is. I heard about a guy. Um, in fact, I know this guy. He, he, he trained his dog. And he would put a treat on the ground, and his dog would be sitting there, and he had trained him not to get the treat until he was told. So he put the treat on the ground, and the dog would look at him, and he would say, no. No. And that dog would just sit there. The funny thing about the dog is, the dog looked at the master, not the treat. <laughs> you want to know why? Because that was too tempting for him. But if he kept his eye, if he fixed his eye on the master, he wouldn't go after the treat. And the master would eventually say, go. And, and boy, I mean, he got there fast. And, and we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. We've got to know what he's doing, what he wants us to do. And when it says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, it, it is a race marked out for us. My race might be different than yours. And the one that marks out the race is the race officials. Elise runs cross-country, and she was in a cross-country race last year, and it was a new course, and they had marked it out, but it wasn't very clear. You know, it kind of it doubled back on itself. It was a weird course, it really was. And they had a guy on a bicycle who was supposed to lead the lead runner on the course. All right, if you're on the bicycle, you better know the course. Really important, because this guy didn't know the course. He was riding all over the place. I mean, yeah, it was like through the parking lot. I, it was crazy. It was like the time I was to lead a funeral possession, uh, procession, and I had no idea where I was going. And so um, it was back, I had moved away, and, I, and it was back near my hometown, Harrodsburg, and I was in Harrodsburg, and I heard they had a new entrance to the, uh, to the cemetery, and I didn't know where that was because I hadn't been there. And so I'm behind the police officer, and I'm thinking I'm, I'm the next car in line, so there's a police officer, me, and the hearse, Right? And I'm, I'm driving, and the police officer pulls off to stop traffic, and now I'm in the lead. When you're in the lead, you better know where you're going, right? If you're setting the course, you better know where you're going. I found it, but it was by God's grace, because it sure wasn't because I knew where I was going. You've got to know the course. Well, God has set this course for us, and yours is different than mine. Think about Jesus' course. Just think about it. He came from heaven 
to earth, Bethlehem. And then from there they go to Egypt. And from Egypt they go to Nazareth. From Nazareth they, he, he worked in Galilee and in Judea. And then it, it led him to the Garden of Gethsemane and to the cross of Calvary, to the tomb, and then not the tomb, and back to heaven. That's quite a course. My course isn't like that. My course is kind of interesting. I mean, you know, I was born in Danville, Kentucky, and then uh, uh, I, I, moved, I went to college in Missouri, and then I went to seminary in uh, Fort Worth, and uh, uh, met Miriam. She was looking for a husband. It worked out great, and uh, got married there, and, and then, you know, we moved back to Kentucky, and then we moved to Michigan, and then we, I mean, we've been everywhere, man. We've been everywhere. My course is different than yours. My mama and daddy, my daddy was born in Casey County, Kentucky. My mama was born in, Boyle, uh, in Garrett County, Kentucky. They got married and moved to Boyle County, Kentucky. They've lived in three counties all of their lives. That's, that, that's their course. My daddy was from a town called Yosemite. You might call it Yosemite, but you'd be wrong. Uh, Yosemite in Casey County, Kentucky. Their course is different than mine. In fact, my people back home think I am a crazy person for, have moved, for having moved so many times because that's just not their course. But God sets a course marked out for us. One translation calls it a particular course set out just for you. Now, when it says for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, Jesus' course was tough. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we're probably going to endure some of the things Jesus endured. Why don't you think about it? Jesus received massive amounts of criticism. He was constantly criticized. He was criticized in his hometown. He was criticized from the religious leaders. He was criticized by lots of people. Jesus was criticized. So there's a chance if Jesus went through it that you're going to go through it. Was Jesus ever lonely? Well, the Garden of Gethsemane, when he wanted his best friends to pray, he was disappointed. Have you ever been disappointed? Jesus was. Have you ever been betrayed? <laughs> Jesus was. Have you ever uh, been tired? Jesus was. Have you ever been misunderstood? The things Jesus went through are likely to be many of the things we go through. If I'm going to be like Jesus, I'm probably going to go through <laughs> some of the things he goes through. Mallory, I, I told you Mallory, um, she ran cross-country, but when track season happened, she would run something called steeplechase. It is a, a race where they have barriers. They're, they're kind of like hurdles, but not quite. They're just really solid, and you really don't want to hit those. But a lot of times, they'll, they'll jump up on them, and they'll put their feet on them and, run up and you know, step over it. But one of the, I think there are three hurdles around uh, these barriers around the racetrack, and one of them on the other side of... The barrier is a water hazard. They call it a water hazard. And so if you do it right, you're running and you kind of launch yourself off of the barrier over the water. You might hit one foot in the water. You really don't want to hit too many feet in the water because you're going to get all wet. Mallory one time slipped on the barrier and fell into the water. I wish I had seen that because that had to be great. I mean, really, that would be great. And why I tell you that is... Our race, we probably won't run perfectly. I mean, we're, there are going to be barriers, and we're not going to run it just the right way. And the Bible says, 
even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. We're probably going to have to suffer some stuff. I mean, things aren't going to always go our way. And our natural inclination is to ask, why? Why is this happening to me? But the better question is, what are you trying to teach me? I had a really good friend, have a really good friend. He had gone through a divorce, and he was telling me about this time. It, it crushed him. He didn't see it coming. Uh, he, he just was overwhelmed. He said it was the darkest period of his life. But he told me that while he was in this valley in his life, he prayed to God and he said, God, teach me everything you have to teach me in this valley because I never want to come here again. What a great attitude. Don't ask why. Ask what. What is it in this season are you trying to teach me to become like your son? Because I know that's your goal for me. And that's his goal for you. What are you trying to teach me in this season? I don't like this season, so let's learn everything. I don't really want to come back here. Let's just do it one time. Teach me everything in this season that you have for me while we're in the season. In sports, we talk about you know no pain, no gain. Short-term pain, long-term gain. You practice really hard now, so in the game you can succeed. Short-term pain, long-term gain. And for Jesus, the short-term pain was the cross. The long-term gain was to bring everyone into the family that will accept Him. It's quite a reward. Look, we live in a broken planet. Everything's broken. The Bible tells us that um, in all things, God works together. Good things, bad things, all things. We live on a broken planet. Are there good things that happen? Sure. Is there joy sometimes? Yeah. But we live on a broken planet with broken people who have a tendency to break things. And so, for us to just sort of think it's always going to go our way, it's sort of, well, it's kind of naive. And that's why we fix our eyes on Jesus. How to become like Christ, the last thing, I don't lose sight of the prize. I don't lose sight of the prize. It says here, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. When I was, um, a few years ago, I went on a mission trip to Tanzania. It's, a long, it's eight time zones away. And Eight time zones away, it takes a long time to get home. And I remember you're, you're on a plane, and after a while, it was a 40-hour flight, best I can remember. Uh, it gets all muddled at some point. I don't know if it was not really 40 hours because of time change. I don't know. It was a long trip. And I'm on a plane that's designed for people that are, you know, three feet tall and uh, in, a, in a little chair, and, and, and I, I, you can't move hardly, and you, you can only watch so much television, and you can only listen to the drone of the engine for so long before you just get really, really tired. And, and we do that because we fix our eyes on the prize. When he talks about here that Jesus is the pioneer of our faith, Jesus is the one that shows us the way. I'm the way. He says, and when it says Jesus is the perfecter of our faith, he's the one about whom it says, he who began a good work in us will see it to completion. I want to kind of end on a high note. So I'm going to show you a couple of texts that I really, really like. Um, In 2 Chronicles, this is the Old Testament, it says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts 
are fully committed to Him. I love that. If you're trying, if you're trying to become like Christ, if you're making an effort, it says here that His eyes are ranging throughout the earth to see that. He's, he's looking for you. He's looking to cheer you on. I'm going to give you another one. Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I go away, then I'll send him to you. We have someone inside of us who's guiding us and cheering us on. Here's what I need you to know. God is cheering us every step of the way, even when we stumble. If, if I had been there that day Mallory fell into the water, uh, water feature there, would I have said, oh, she is so clumsy? I can't believe that she did that. I'm a dad. You know what I would have said? Honey, get up. It's okay. Come on. Get back in there. Because that's what you do as a daddy. She played basketball one time, and somebody threw her down. Uh, she was boxing out for a rebound. She hit her head on the floor, and I mean it was pop. She probably has a concussion. She looks at me, and I'm, I'm like, get up. Get up. Every mother was mad at me for about a week after that. It's like, get up. Keep playing. you got to keep going. Come on. got to keep going. We need people in our lives to say, get up. It, right now, in this moment, we have children on this side of the building, and I would almost guarantee you they're making valentines. And if you're fortunate enough... After this service is over with, somebody might show you one of their valentines that they made. Now, what are you going to say if they colored outside the lines? Mm. Did you even try? I mean, really, are you, are you trying? Is this the best you can? Are you going to do that? No. You know what you're going to do? You're going to say, oh my word, you're an artist. Because our expectation is in relationship to their ability. I don't expect them to do more than they can do. When you're a, a parent or a grandkid, uh, grandparent, and the, the, the baby in the family begins to walk, they look like Frankenstein. They're horrible. It's like, you know, they're doing this, they're falling. They're horrible. We have some of those little guys around here. They, they're not very good. They're wobbly, you know. What, do, do you say, hmm, you should just crawl? You're kind of a walking loser. And so uh, you should just, no, you know what you do? You act like they invented uh, the cure for cancer. <gasps> oh, my word. You took three consecutive steps without falling down. You are awesome. That's what we do because our expectation equals their ability. We, we, we sort of put it in context. Some of us think, oh, man, God isn't, he can't be pleased with me. I mean, I should be further along than this. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you should be. But some of us grew up with parents who were never satisfied, who never did enough. And you're transposing that attitude onto our Heavenly Father, and that's just not who He is. He's the Father who's cheering you every step of the way, and when you fall down, He's cheering you to get back up. Because that's who He is. You might not think you're far enough. You haven't done enough. You're not mature enough. You haven't gotten down the race as good as you wanted to. Okay. I want to show you a text written by a guy who wrote about half of the New Testament. His name is Paul. Paul said this. Not that I've already... 
arrived at my goal of being like Christ, but I press on. How does that make you feel? This is a guy who wrote half the New Testament who didn't feel like he had accomplished everything he wanted to. Okay. You keep on going. When you have a kid in a ball game, he's playing baseball, do you just cheer the third and the fifth inning? No. You cheer every time they're up to bat. You cheer every time the ball gets close to them. You cheer every time they make a a good play. You encourage every time they stumble. This is God to us. He loves us. The Bible says all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it for a prize that will fade away. But... We do it for an eternal prize. Look, don't give up. Every step is important. Everything you do is important. But if you stumble, it doesn't mean you have to quit the race. Don't just stop running. And then back in Hebrews, it says, lift up your tired hands. Yeah, we get tired of all this. And strengthen your trembling knees. Yeah, you get worn out. And keep walking. And maybe today the word for you is keep walking. Maybe you're struggling. Get up. Keep walking. Don't give up. Maybe you've fallen down. It's okay. Get up. Maybe you're just flat tired. I think most of America is. Keep going. Just keep going. I want to end with a story that just makes me giggle. This is a guy, Spiros. His name is Spiros Luis. He is Greek. He won the marathon in 1896, the first modern marathon. Now, it was held in Greece, and this is why this is important. The Greeks were holding, they were, they were the one hosting the 1896 Olympics, and their, uh, the Greeks had won nothing, had no medals. So their big hope was in the marathon. The reason is there were 19 runners and 16 of them were Greek. And so they thought, well, at least we're going to win something. You know, we're going to have a chance. Now, the problem is... The race started, and there was a Frenchman who took the lead. And he was kind of out front, and, and uh, Spiros Luis, he was third. And the, the beauty of this story is, is this. He, while he's on the route, he, he, he stops for a glass of wine while he's running the marathon. And he asks... Uh, who's, who's out in front? And they tell him, well, there's a, there's a Frenchman and there's an Austrian. He says, oh, I can beat them. You know, he's, he's drinking the wine, I can, I can catch them. And it's like, okay. Uh, I'll, that's the part of the story that kind of makes me the, giggle the most. All right, so um, he gets to, uh, he's done with his wine and he starts the race. And, and sure enough, the Frenchman kind of drops out, but then the Austrian's still ahead of him. And then the Austrian drops out. And Spiros Luis, he... He enters the, the stadium, and the stadium is filled with Greeks, and they cheer because this is their guy. I mean, they're cheering, and it gets funnier. It gets wackier. Out of the stands come the crown prince Constantine and Prince George. They come out of the stands. They get on the track with him and run the final lap. Can you imagine that? That would be like Joe Biden coming out of the stadium, you know, running uh, with whoever's winning something for the Americans. That's just kind of funny to me. And so these guys come down, they run with him. It's just it's a cool story because they wanted to share the glory. And I, I was thinking about that. It's like, that's it's really kind of cool. Because 
In Hebrews 12, 1, at the very verse, it says, there's this great cloud of witnesses. And so what if, what if we run this race, right? We run our race, get to the end of our life, and we, that moment between heaven and earth, we, we enter maybe a stadium. No, this is like that, but there's a great cloud of witnesses somewhere. What if Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they come and they, they've been helping us all along. They, they run with us that last little bit. It kind of feels like that's how maybe it works. Look, we're called to be like Jesus, and we can do it. God would never ask us to do something we can't do. We're called to be like Jesus, and we can do it. It's the good news today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message and this word. It is amazing that you even expect this of us. And so if you expect it, then we can do it. And we're thankful for that. And I pray, God, that we might finish this race, get up if we have to, start over if we have to, help us to be in the race, help us to be about the race, and help us to finish strong. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.